The Transmission, episode 78, November 28, 2009. That's a flare gun. And how do you think it'll feel? Taking a flare to the chest at this range. As your friend pointed out, I already died once this week. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into The Transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, at least those of you in the States. And we hope you enjoyed the audio from the second masterclass on Lost. And that was from the Hawaii International Film Festival. And we've got one more class coming up. But this week, it's back to our Season 3 review. Up next, we'll quickly recap the next three episodes from Season 3, which are Episodes 16, 17, and 18. And then we'll share our thoughts. Then we'll hear your feedback on the episodes and you all, everybody. We'll have not one, but two great new prizes to announce as part of our hiatus giveaway. One of them involves the so-called Lost ARG, Damon Carlton and a polarbear.com. And I can't wait to tell you about that. We'll hear another fun song from the Others Lost Band. And finally, we'll cover the last three weeks of Lost production here on the island in the forward cabin. So you ready? Let's get lost. We begin with one of us. In flashback, Juliet joins Middleos Bioscience and goes to the airport with her sister. Alpert and Ethan are waiting for her, and she and her sister say goodbye. Inside, Nathan takes Juliet's vitals while Alpert serves her orange juice with a considerable amount of tranquilizer mixed in. Nathan says that the trip is kind of intense. She drinks the juice, passes out, and comes to on the submarine. She climbs up the hatch and sees the island. Ben comes to meet her. Next, we see Juliet in the operating room as a patient flatlines. Ben finds her on a Rocky Shore, and he says the woman, Sabine, knew the risks. Juliet says the problem must happen at conception, but the only way to test it is to take someone off the island. But Ben says no one is leaving, so Juliet says she can't help him and says that she wants to go home. Ben tells her that her sister's cancer is back, but if she stays, Jacob will cure her. Three years later, we see Juliet with Goodwin. She gets some x-rays and goes to tell Ben that she found a tumor. She says he lied to her about being able to cure cancer and demands to go home. Next, we see the book club meeting and the plane crash and Ben sending Goodwin and Ethan off. Ben then takes Juliet to the flame and Mikhail is already collecting information on the folks on Oceanic 815. They connect to Alpert, who's in Acadia Park, and he points the camera at her sister and son, Julian. Ben says that he's not a liar, that she'll continue her work, and hey, maybe there's even a pregnant woman on the plane. On the island, Jack, Saeed, Kate, and Juliet are heading back to to the beach. Kate asks Jack about the week that he spent with the others, and Jack tells her about the deal he had to save Ben. Saeed asks Juliet what the others are doing, making lists and taking children. Juliet says if she told him everything, he'd kill her. Jack says Juliet is under his protection and tells her they will come around. On the beach, Charlie finds Aaron crying, and Claire says she's not feeling well. Jack and crew arrive. There are hugs all around, even between Sawyer and Kate, but then they spot Juliet. She's excluded from the camp, and Hurley comes to keep an eye on her. He tells her that they killed 
Ethan. Jack tries to talk them into trusting her, but Said and Sawyer refuse. Suddenly, Claire starts bleeding and passes out. Juliet tells Kate that she knows what's wrong with Claire because she did it to her. Juliet explains that pregnant women die on the island except for Claire. She developed a serum and Claire was getting it, but Ethan got caught. But now Claire needs more serum. Jack tells her to go get moving. She goes to a case hidden in the jungle, but Sire and Saeed intercept her and demand answers. She points out that Saeed, the torturer, and Sire, the murderer, are hardly the moral police. Then she runs back to the beach, and Jack says that if it doesn't work, she's on her own. Juliet replies, I'm already on my own, and gives Claire the serum. Hours later, Claire gets better. Jack tells Juliet everyone will want answers. Juliet asks why Jack doesn't need them, and he says he knows she wanted off the island, and that makes her one of us. Then, in a flashback, we see Juliet meeting with Ben, going over the plan, activating Claire's implant, then earning everyone's trust by saving Claire. Ben gives Juliet a gas mask and says, see you in a week. In Catch-22, we see in flashback Desmond becomes a monk after completing his vow of silence. The monks are packing their wine under the brand Moriah Vineyards, which Desmond points out is the mountain where Abraham was asked to kill Isaac in the Bible. Brother Campbell says it's about sacrifice. Suddenly, a man comes in and punches Desmond. Desmond goes to see a girl who is the man's sister, and Desmond tells her he owes her an explanation for leaving one week before their wedding. He says he woke up in the street and a monk asked him if he could help, and he knew he was was supposed to go with the monk and sacrifice everything. She doesn't believe him and tells him next time that he should just tell the girl he's too scared. That night, Brother Campbell finds Desmond drunk and tells him that he's not cut out to be a monk and fires him. He says God has bigger plans for him. The next day, Desmond is helping load cases of wine into a woman's car, and he tells the woman that he was fired but that it was part of a bigger plan. She invites him to go along and introduces herself as Penny. On the island, we first see Charlie and Hurley walking through the jungle. Are you about superheroes when Charlie trips a trap and is shot in the neck with an arrow and dies, but it was just one of Desmond's visions. Desmond asks Hurley about a cable buried in the sand. Hurley asks why, and he says, because someone's coming. They go to Jack to borrow his first aid kit. Hurley demands an explanation, and Desmond says he saw Hurley pulling the cable out of the sand. Hurley realizes that Desmond wants something to happen. They go to get Jin, and Hurley tells them they're going camping. Then they go to get Charlie, who's suspicious, but Desmond says someone's coming to the island and that Charlie's not going to die this time. Meanwhile, Sawyer goes to Kate and asks if she told Jack about the two of them. She says Jack saw them in the cage. Sawyer tries to get some, but Kate (laughs) walks out. Jack meets Kate in the food tent, but goes back to Juliet with a plate. Kate sees them and goes back to Sawyer's tent. Mm -hmm. The next day, Sawyer talks to Jack and realizes what happens. He tells Kate that if she wants to use him, she should just ask. Desmond, Hurley, and Charlie, meanwhile, find the cable and camp for the night. Desmond shows Charlie his photo of Penny and says that he thinks maybe she's still looking for him. Just then, they hear a helicopter, but it splashes down in the ocean. Then Jin sees a parachute come down inland. Desmond wants to go, but Charlie is worried about Danielle's traps, and they wait. The next morning, they head into the jungle. Charlie finds a doll, and Desmond sees a pack in a tree. It's got a satellite phone inside and a book with a photo of Desmond and Penny in it. It's 
starts to rain, Hurley and Charlie start arguing about superheroes again. Desmond recognizes the trap and tells Charlie to duck, and the arrow hits his guitar. Charlie realizes that Desmond knew the whole time, but Desmond says it must have been a test and that he failed because he changed what he saw. They then find someone hanging from a tree and cut her down, realizing that she's still alive. Desmond runs over and lifts off the helmet, but it's not Penny. She says Desmond and passes out again. Now on to DOC in flashback. A woman comes up to Sun and asks if she's the daughter of the rich and powerful Mr. Pike. She says that Jin is the son of a fisherman and a prostitute and demands $100,000 or she will expose him and shame the family. That night, Sun asks Jin if he has pictures of his family. He says they didn't have a camera and his father died while Jin was in the army. Well, Sun goes out and finds Jin's father in a fishing village and tells him that Jin said he was dead. He says he told him that his mother died to spare him the shame and he says that she can't tell him that they met or that his mother is still alive. Sun agrees. She then goes to Mr. Paik to ask for the money and says it's to spare someone she loves from deep shame. In return, she'll continue to pretend she doesn't know what he does. He gives her the money but says it'll be Jin's debt to repay. Later, Jin finds the money in Sun's purse and she says it's for their honeymoon. Jin says he'll take care of them and tells her to give the money back as he doesn't want to be in her father's debt. Still, Sun gives the money to the woman who was Jin's mother, but Sun tells her that she will kill her if Jin finds out. On the island, Sun is working in her garden when Jack shows up and asks how her pregnancy is going. Sun later tells Kate that Jack asked about her pregnancy and says maybe Jack is working with the others and they want her baby. Kate says that Juliet was their fertility doctor and that the others wanted Claire's baby for research, so Sun goes to Juliet and asks what happens to pregnant women on the island. Juliet says that pregnant women all die. That night, Juliet comes to Sun and leads her into the jungle to the medical hatch. She says she'll find out the date of conception as if she got pregnant before the crash, she'll be fine. Sun asks why Juliet is helping her. Juliet says she's lost nine patients in three years and she wants to give good news again. But Sun says she slept with another man before the crash and that Jin was impotent. Juliet says on the island men are especially fertile. Sun says she'll lose either way but she still wants to do it so Juliet does the ultrasound. Juliet says she got pregnant on the island and Sun starts to cry but Sun is actually relieved that the baby is Jin's. Sun then asks how long she has to live and Juliet says she has about two months. Sun says that she's happy that the baby is Jin's and that Juliet gave her good news. But then Juliet goes back into the station and records a message for Ben reporting that Sun is pregnant and that she'll collect more samples including from Kate. Meanwhile Desmond, Jin, Hurley and Charlie are with Naomi and she says she's dying. They find that she's been stabbed with a branch. Desmond says he'll go to get Jack since nobody knows where they are but just then Hurley fires off a flare gun by accident. They hear leaves rustling and it's Mikhail. Jin chases him down and takes him down and after he translates something that Naomi says he says he was an army field medic and can help but if he helps they have to let him go. He relieves the pressure on Naomi's lung and she says something in Portuguese. Mikhail says she said thank you. Mikhail says she'll be better in about a day because on the island things are different. Desmond lets him go, but Jin notices that he has a satellite phone and chases him down to get it. Naomi comes too, and Hurley asks if they're there to rescue them. Naomi says it's not possible. They found the plane, and there were no survivors. And thud. thud. And that is episode 16, 17, and 18 from season three of Lost in about nine and a half minutes. We'll take a short break to catch our breath, and then when we come back, we'll share our thoughts on these episodes.
So our season three rewatch continues with a pretty good set of yeah. three episodes here. Let's start with the Juliet episode, One of Us. What do you think? The scene where Juliet sees the video feed of her sister and her nephew <sighs> breaks my heart every time. An incredible scene. Actually, the one that really stands out for me and also just an incredible scene is where she confronts Ben, where she gets yeah. there and she's full of rage and angry and strong and within moments just is completely broken and, and defeated, defeated and yeah. is just you know leaning on his shoulder and just sort of crying and yet in this very same episode very quickly juxtaposed with that scene is the scene where she dresses down Saeed and Sawyer that's and a basi- great scene yeah I mean those are the two tough guys one of the two tougher tough guys on the entire island and Sawyer just completely deflates them by pointing out their weaknesses and right their, their she past. says it's funny that you guys are coming to me as the moral police of the island now one thing about that scene that stood out to me was the mark on the tree you know Ethan's drop point whatever mm-hmm. that is it has a little sort of asterisk shaped mark isn't that the same I think it's the same it mark is. that they've got on Juliet it so is. the question is what is that mark I mean it doesn't look like it has a negative connotation in that sense but for, for her to have it on her body seems to be a really really bad thing I so. don't know see now I'm thinking you know we were seeing that we're seeing her trial through the eyes of Jack. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe they were setting her up all along to be the person who implants Claire and 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 makes her. You know, sick. actually, that's an interesting way to see it because otherwise, I'm having a hard time making the connection both with the symbol and like how far back you know this whole plan actually goes. It, it seems to be way back when Ethan snatched Claire. That was all the way back in season one when they first crashed. Right. So maybe the symbol that that Juliet gets is like, oh, you know, you drew the short straw. You're going to be the one who has to be pretend to be part of the camp or I'm right. not sure really what what was going on there but now now it actually I like it a little bit more unless I overthink it too much um, also something that kind of stood out for me was Juliet when she's on the submarine mm-hmm. they go out of their way to show her bare feet that she rode on a submarine and bare feet which is already kind of unusual for a submarine yeah. but what are they trying to say there right um, well I mean I, I would figure they had to get her on the submarine Maybe they took her shoes off. Just sort of to tuck her in and make her comfortable. Right. The only reason why I get excited about it is because there are a lot of people who feel there's an yeah. underlying current with the shoes and feet and things. Oh, going there on is. And, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. So, but it was kind of strange that by the time she gets out of the submarine, she's wearing her shoes. So uh-huh. either she slips them on or it's just something we don't see or maybe it's a blooper. But the fact that they showed her feet, I mean, I'm definitely, I was definitely, I mean, it shows vulnerability to some extent, I think. It does show one vulnerability. Of the, one of the things that they're trying to say. Anything else about this episode stood out for you? Ethan, hmm? he's such a nice guy. How <laughs> so? He's just so helpful and friendly and, and considerate. I mean, we see him kidnap Claire, and we see what he does to Charlie in the jungle, and you think he's some kind of crazed, murderous monster. Mm-hmm. But you see him with the others. You see him interact with Alpert and Juliet. He's so helpful and charming. Mm-hmm. And he's even, he even tried to help Nikki and Paulo find their suitcase, although there might have been ulterior motives right. there. But in any case, yeah, Ethan, you know, is not a uh, poor guy. He, 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 got the, he, he really got picked on, but I can see that. He's so, he's so helpful until he gets sent to his death by good old Ben. Um, a line that stood out for me this time watching it was when Albert is explaining to Juliet, you know, how she, why she should go to the island. She, he says that you created life where life wasn't supposed to be. You know, you have a gift. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, yes, the island clearly collects people. People who are special, but the the thing about life where it's not supposed to be. Now that we see Albert as having a longer term connection to the island, and we have the whole context of the Jacob and Man in Black conversation about yeah. bringing people to the island that maybe shouldn't be there, or maybe shouldn't be subject to the kind of trials and tests that they are. 
there might be something else going on there. I mean, mm. I've I've also felt that Alfred at this point in the story hasn't been really fleshed out as the important guy that he is, and maybe he's just saying a random line. But yeah, it definitely was something that raised my eyebrows. You know, another thing about Juliet that I love, she's kind of a smartass. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, well, we see the line about um, she says the line about the runway. It's it's aliens, mm-hmm. and then and Sawyer, I, I I guess it's Sawyer or Hurley's like, well, I didn't oh, right, see you. Hurley. I didn't see you on the on the pier when we had bags put over our heads you know i guess you weren't there and she says i had the day off absolutely <laughs> very good line and ben ben you know the the line that uh, made me laugh out loud in this episode was when they're approaching the the the, the flame, flame basically mm-hmm. and mikhail we're coming we're approaching the house please don't shoot us like- I, I know i love the way he <laughs> delivers that it's so natural it just sounds like something you know th- that somebody would say it's so it's so natural mm-hmm. now we're there were some book and music references in this episode we the the, the carry comes up again uh-huh. the, the book club book where ben goes i just that's just so depressing you know <laughs> i think that was pretty cool no it's not a it's not a barrel of laughs that's for sure and uh, it turns out that juliet has a a, a late motif a musical song that goes with her because I, we know that we yeah. saw it when uh she was you know burning season, her muffins the season, right, premiere. season premiere but it turns out that it was it was in her yeah. life before that. downtown it's playing in the car and actually you can only barely hear it i didn't even realize the first time we watched it that that it was that playing was i didn't hear it but you know we could see it in the closed yeah captioning. you got to go with the closed caption that's the only way to watch lost now uh there were some anagrams in this episode as well hererat aviation hererat is an anagram for Earhart, as mm-hmm. in amelia Earhart. that's right and also that building we just drove past it today yeah we did <laughs> it's uh, the honolulu advertiser printing press yeah but it's such a distinctive building with those weird paddles and things i'm not sure how they could kind of play that off as an airport i mean it's literally in the middle of the island almost uh-huh. but uh, in any case a nice landmark and the other anagram was middleos of course um which is lost time mm-hmm. although i guess that's that was sorted out earlier on when they used that name but it just sort of stood out that there were some sort of anagram um, things going on in this episode but overall one of us i mean if you know even this probably isn't the best elizabeth mitchell episode but just any elizabeth mitchell mitchell episode just shines with she's, her acting she's great she's actually one of my favorite actresses ever. just overall yeah. yeah well let's move on to catch 22 the desmond episode uh, what do you think this is probably my i mean it's a great episode mm. but it's probably my least favorite desmond episode Yeah, you know i would say in terms of how we now attach so much significance to desmond episodes this one really wasn't the mind twister that we might have expected or that we get from some of his other episodes i think there is a key question to ask about the episode but maybe we'll get to that in a bit now uh, i like that uh, we learned that this is where desmond picks up his weird habit of calling everyone brother yeah you know he turns out to be a monk and uh, they even though it was the title of the previous episode very early on when um uh, brother or father what's the other guy's name brother campbell brother campbell uh says uh you know now you're one of us uh-huh. you know? so again in terms of themes that's something that they kind of carry a line that they repeat so there's another biblical reference in this episode mm-hmm. moriah uh, moriah which is the the place where um abraham was asked to kill isaac Right. And basically, it's all about a sacrifice. And, you know, in terms of the overall question of this episode, that's sort of what uh, Desmond had to do, although his sacrifice...
sacrifice, as far as I can tell, was deciding to wait until morning rather than heading directly into the jungle. I mean, he compromised with what Charlie was saying, and I guess that was the sacrifice. Do you think that's well, what the he, big choice was? He sacrificed three years in the swan. Right. Well, there's that. I mean, he certainly knows that the meaning of the word now, I would say. But when I think about the, the bigger question for the episode, it was sort of, is he saying that he failed the test because of that change that he made to what he right. saw? Because, yeah. you know, he implies, he, I think he says in his vision, he is confident that it was Penny that he saw. So I guess my question is, did he see Penny or did he see what we all saw and just assumed up until that point that it was Penny? Yeah, that's true. Good, That's a good point. What do you think? Um, I think... I think he was wishing really hard that it was Penny, but I think he saw exactly what we saw, just somebody hanging from a tree. Yeah, I mean, the the if that kind of makes me question what the sacrifice that he made was, because he seems to be most upset that he deviated from his vision and that that somehow changed the course of everything, that basically, you know, if the flashes don't happen exactly as I saw them, the picture changes. Mm-hmm. And I like the use of the word picture as well. But, and, you know, actually, now that I think about it, we've always been joking about how the pictures of Desmond and Penny seem to be different every time we see it. Because right. they've used like three or four different props right. for that same photo. Now. That could be one way to explain it, that because of something that happens, because of some change that Desmond makes, the picture did change, even though even just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know if he really did see um, Penny. It, they seem to suggest that if he didn't change everything, that it would have been Penny parachuting onto the island. But how would that right. have been? I cannot yeah. see in any circumstance how, how Penny would be the one jumping out of a helicopter in a pressurized suit before it crashes into the ocean. But I, what else could the sacrifices be, I guess, apart from what he's already gone through on the the island now there there were some other curious clues this is not something i picked up on first viewing either um it's something that i read about later on but there's a photo on brother campbell's desk in which there's mrs hawking right right i mean definitely when the episode aired that was the key you know easter egg for everybody and actually you look at all of the blogs and the lost pd entries about it and it's a very bad photoshop job i uh-huh. mean it kind of looks like uh what's that picture with american the farmer? Gothic. Yeah, it looks like american gothic going on there but just really bad bad sort of cut and paste job but yes what are they trying to say about Eloise Hawking and Brother Campbell they're working together or they're they know each other and it suggests to me that Brother Campbell is united with Mrs. Hawking in their mission to get Desmond at least out of the the monastery and and onto the island. Yeah, you know, when basically, I mean, clearly Desmond wasn't cut out to be a monk and he gets drunk and it's, you know, he's running away from a girl and that. So there's perfectly good reason for Brother Campbell to fire him. But because there was sort of that element of surprise to Desmond that you're firing me, it almost reminds me of the way that kind of even the psychic, for example, changes his story all Uh of a sudden on Claire and, you know, how all of these other people we've seen sort of suddenly change their position on something yeah and as claire's res- claire's boyfriend yeah also. claire's boyfriend yeah. I, I love you let's do this and oh wait i'm scared i can't do this you know i'm out of here uh-huh. you know so to me it almost seemed that you know mrs eloise's position or connection to brother campbell was kind of key in his deciding yes the correct course of action at this point is to not try to welcome desmond in and help him understand sacrifice but he's got to he's got to get out of here yeah. he's got to meet basically Penny. campbell's got to push him out <laughs> exactly Instead of books in this episode, we have uh, more, actually more, as far as the arc of loss, more comic book conversations. You know, you've we've had comic books from the from the very beginning with Hurley's mm-hmm. comic book and conversations here about sort of these. Uh, 
hypothetical situations with what superheroes can do. I thought that was a very Kevin Smith conversation. I suppose, yeah. I mean, yeah. you almost expected that, well, you know, Empire Strikes Back comes into play and a lot of mm-hmm. these other pop culture references, but I definitely liked that conversation. The reason why now with season five eyes, when they're arguing about what the Flash can do and what Superman can do, well, in the original Superman movie, what does Superman do to fix things? He goes back in time to save Lois. That's right. He spins the planet around backwards and she doesn't fall into the hole and all is well. And that's basically changing the future. Superman changed the future. And Mm -hmm. that's, I don't know, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. But I just kind of liked just overall that kind of conversation. My favorite line in this episode, though, happens when Desmond goes to get the first aid kit from Jack. Mm -hmm. And and Desmond says, I've taped my share of ankles. I like that line. Me I mean, too. just the look of recognition on Jack's face, and they played it so subtly. Very I mean, subtly. You know, yeah. on this in the show in general, sometimes when they want to remind you of things that have happened in the past, they're a little, you know, unsubtle about it. They're kind of anvilicious and hit uh-huh. you over the head with it. I mean, they're almost like flash forward. But you know, in this case, <laughs> they it actually made me think. Like, wait, what is he referring to? Oh, that's right. They met when they were uh, way back when they were at the stadium, and they uh-huh. were both running and ha- kind of had that athletic connection. So yeah, I definitely like that line. My my line of the episode is Hurley at this point just completely uh, over with the Desmonds telling the future thing says when it starts to rain thanks a lot for the heads up about bringing an umbrella well I mean there were a lot of light moments in this episode Mm -hmm. like um, when they're trekking across the beach and they start to um, whistle the the tune that um, from Bridge on the River Kwai right 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 which is a a funny scene a great image but I think you know now kind of uh, foreshadowing to some extent I mean the Bridge on the River Kwai they have this massive plan to blow up the bridge and it succeeds, but only at the expense of everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a calamitous end for success. And I'm just, I mean, I don't know. I just kind of like sort of the connection there. And uh, as far as scenes that are funny, I mean, Jin. Jin gets to tell a scary ghost story around a campfire in Korean. We have no idea <laughs> what he's saying. But when he gets to the punchline, it still makes Hurley yell in fear. I mean, I thought that was a great scene as well. Yeah, it was a great scene. But not a great scene, I think. I mean, I don't mean to pick at any wounds here, but there was also a scene that got you groaning. I mean, rolling your eyes in this episode. Yeah, it's time for my semi-annual. Can we please write Kate as an interesting, smart, put-together person complaint? Right, rather than, I don't know, mysteriously wet and uh, looking like a wounded animal. And I'll come with you! Oh, and being, you know, partially undressed so Sawyer can catch her. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, we, we're we're often hard on Kate, but I think we're more annoyed with the character than the actor. Yeah, in it's most the cases. way she's written. She's mm-hmm. just such a completely mindless, spineless character sometimes. A lot of the times. It, it, frustrates me right i mean it, it, the scene the, it just seems so out of place so gratuitous so this is just so we can put it in the preview for the previous week kind of scene i uh-huh. mean i definitely i definitely hear you there i mean not a high point but for the most part again you know a decent desmond episode and uh, even had the numbers in it the number of cases that they were yeah, packaging at Moria. so you know little things there but let's move on to doc date of conception on sun what did you think there there's something i've been thinking about um I didn't understand why she didn't come clean with her dad about Jin's mother. Why Mm -hmm. she didn't just say this is going on and this is why I need the money. But I realized this time she's trying to stick it to her dad. She's really trying to get under his skin, but it backfires. And that's why 
Jin is in her is is in her father's debt because she wanted something from her dad and and it just backfired on her. So in, it, she felt that she was killing two birds with one stone, kind of paying off this woman and saving J- Jin the shame. But also she just wanted to have an excuse to confront her dad. Yeah. about his that's that's an interesting way of putting it. I mean, basically what comes through loud and clear with again season five eyes and seeing the direction that Sun has started to go is that she is you know kind of mean. I mean, she's kind of a yeah. bad person. She 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 actually goes against Jin's wishes even when he says I do not want to live in your father's debt you know whatever it is that it, I just don't want to be like that I will take care of us and she robs him of that opportunity and basically puts him in the crappy job that he ends up tortured for the rest of his days about so yeah. I mean her role in what turns up and what happens to Jin is so significant because up until this point we've seen this wonderful trans you know transformation on both of their cases Jin goes from being the cold and un, you know inattentive and uncaring and partially abusive husband to kind of the victim in this case. But mm-hmm. uh, that said, I mean, be- the same way we say it with season five, I think that Sun is a much more interesting character when she has this darker side. I kind of like it. And when she has the scenes with Juliet, Elizabeth Mitchell, and Yoon Kim, yes. when they're great. They're great I, together. I, I yeah. immediately thought to myself, why don't we see more of them? I mean, these two together are actually two great powerhouses, two female, you know, actors that are fantastic, great strength and conviction in their faces. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from they they both allow themselves to be weak in front of each other and to be strong in front of each other and just sort of that that give and take I thought was spectacular. Yeah, just the look of relief on Sun's face when she she realizes that Jin is the father of her baby. It's just such a, a great moment. Right, and how Juliet is tortured with always having to say someone's pregnant and for, for that to be bad news for someone I just thought you know that's an interesting take on a character that's an interesting place for somebody to be in especially someone who's a fertility doctor so just overall you know I thought it was great for both of those characters but definitely for Yoon Jun Kim so Jin has mommy issues yeah I mean definitely you know it's it's kind of curious because he he doesn't know what his mommy issue is. Right. Like he doesn't seem to be aware of it, but it's it's and more And his complex. daddy issues are self-created. Right. He, you know, disowns his dad or is not proud of his dad or is ashamed of a dad. So certainly that is a daddy issue. But when we start to pay attention to how moms kind of play a role and how moms are kind of cruel and mean and lost, I mean, yeah. we're seeing more of that. Like we were just talking about how Kate's mom sells her out and here... Jin's mom is trying to blackmail his wife because mm-hmm. of what who she is. She's like, I'm an awful person. Give me money or I'm going to tell everybody. Yeah. So I definitely thought that was kind of key. Now, um, one sort of cinematic thing I noticed in this episode, we've, we've now been very conscious of characters who get the mopey beach panning, you know, swing camera shot. Yeah. And so, I, I hadn't even noticed all of them the first time we watched these episodes, but now I'm realizing... Everybody gets one sooner yeah. or later. They, they, they just have to look thoughtfully out to the ocean. And ever since we had that line about Hurley, you know, when people are all moping and looking out to sea. That uh, means something's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was kind of cool. Now, the big twist in this episode, the uh, as we discussed a, a, a few minutes ago, was that, you know, it was actually a double double cross by Juliet mm-hmm. that, you know, she the whole idea was for to, her to get in everyone's good graces by saving Claire because she's the one who made Claire sick 
or the others made Claire right. sick. So it was kind of funny that half the things she was confessing to, you know, I did this to her is true, but half of it isn't necessarily true. Yeah. But I don't understand really how that overall plan worked. Now, was the implant put in during Claire's time with Ethan back in season one? See, and- I don't know. Part of me thinks that Juliet is being lied to just as much as Claire was. I think I think Ben is playing Juliet. That Claire didn't have a, an implant? But I, then how would she save her? I thought, I don't know. I'm thinking that Claire's problems had more to do with the vaccine or the lack thereof. I think what I think the line that Juliet feeds everybody is the truth. Really? That that's that. But then she no, I don't know, because then we see the flashback where she says we've we've activated. I mean, Ben is telling Juliet what the story is of that implant. But you're right. There's I don't know if there's more to it or if they were just starting to make one too many twists in the story. But because of the whole vaccine thing and how we saw that playing since early on in the show, I just can't figure out why there's an implant that will make someone sick on command and how that necessarily fits. I don't I don't get it. I mean, we know that Ben plays people. We know that Ben lies to people. So that seems like the most reasonable explanation. The the reason why I would share that doubt is because there's also the mysterious, uh, you know, heart pacemaker that they put inside of Sawyer. But that turns out to be a complete, you know, story just to to psychologically work on somebody. I'm not sure how that would work for Claire. But in any case, there's something about that. It wouldn't work on Claire. It will work on Juliet because Juliet is so distraught that she can't save anybody. Right. So he's playing on her fear of losing somebody. Except that Claire actually got sick. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I think it's a mystery that a lot of us are worried about. And there's some of that in You All, Everybody coming up. So maybe we'll just save it. Uh, Anything else in this episode stood out for you? Mikhail is so scary scary he's so scary i guess he's scary he's he's amusingly scary though really i I don't find him amusing at all (laughs) i find him just terrifying he just gives you the creeps why is that just the way he comes out of the jungle in this episode the way he just appears Mm -hmm. he's he's like an apparition and he's completely menacing because you can see in his eyes He's got nothing to lose. Right. Well, that's definitely a key to his character, and he has the best line, which is, you know, if you've if your friend just mentioned, I've already died, and he continues to die and come back. I mean, uh-huh. that's kind of... I'm. Do you think that we're going to see Mikhail again? I mean, is he dead dead, or is he not dead? We'll see him again. I think we'll see him again, too, just because that seems to be his particular character trait. I I, I guess he's creepy. I just thought that, you know, his his sort of bemusement with what all of the other... what all of our losties are going through is, is kind of funny. I mean, when Sa- Saeed threatens to shoot him and points the gun and he just kind of looks down with his one eye and says that's a flare gun like i'm sorry do you not get this how are you exactly planning on causing any damage with that i thought that was pretty cool um hurley you know this episode almost to maybe an excessive extent turns out to be the the guy who can't do anything right you know mm-hmm. first uh, they don't know where we are he shoots off the flare gun and you know we he just starts spilling these secrets to mikhail when everybody's looking at him like shut up shut up shut up uh-huh. finally he goes like i tell you you know i mean i don't know <laughs> definitely you know hurley is comedic relief um i hope that they don't you know do this too much more with him in terms of he's going to undermine everything because he's so clueless but well, that's the thing about hurley his his joviality and his inability to do certain things can turn into a gimmick and it can actually 
the, the, it, it can actually defy logic, mm-hmm. you know, because Hurley is a smart guy. Right, and when right. they use him that way too much, you kind of undermine what you've told us about him. I think that Hurley is going to, you know, turn out to, he's, he's saved the day before. I think yeah. he's going to save the day again. You think so, so these mistakes, I think we're just, you know, again, just toot for the laughs. Now, there was the fact that Mikhail, like Naomi, can speak multiple, multiple languages. Mm-hmm. I mean, to some extent, I think that kind of training suggests a similar background or some kind of connection there yeah but the line that uh mikhail translates as saying um you know she said thank you for saving me yeah she actually says something much more significant i am not alone right and i think that she was saying that specifically to mikhail she was saying something that she knew that losties wouldn't understand Mm -hmm. so again i mean there's some sort of connection and i mean i guess it makes sense she works for widmore and now we know widmore is from the island and Mm -hmm. apparently went through the same kind of training that they all did so there is a connection there but it, it it just seems much more clear we have more of that dimension of the of, of the links between yeah. Mikhail and Naomi as a result of what we've seen mm-hmm. in season five. Anything else uh, stand out for you? Well, Desmond makes an interesting observation. He says, by his count, um, the Losties have killed more others than the others have killed Definitely a key line, and I don't think it's the first time that observation has been made. Somehow, I think it's been said before because we've we've been we've been shown a number of times that you know who's good and who's bad is very unclear on this show, and from some from several perspectives, our losties as the seeming victims on these islands are as much perpetrators or criminals or bad people as anyone else. I mean, they're not. It's not too far from the truth when uh, some of them are declared to be bad people. I think that that was kind of a telling statement in terms of foreshadowing, though, the thing that stood out really strong for me in uh, DOC was the person who feels the most strongly about Mikhail, the person who says, we can't trust him. That's the dude who, you know, shot Saeed. We should kill him. We yeah. can't let him go is Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. And that's cool. Well, because Charlie dies at the hands of Mikhail. Exactly. That a few episodes from now, we are going to, as we are long dreading in this this stretch of episodes, but the person who brings about Charlie's death is Mikhail, yeah. the person that he could not convince people was an actual threat. So I didn't see it the first time around. I got to hand it to the writers for sort of setting that seed or setting that irony that probably a lot of people would have forgotten or a lot of people wouldn't yeah. have picked up on until watching it over again like we are. So pretty good set of episodes, I'd have to yeah, say. Yeah, great set of episodes. That's our take on on them when we come back we'll hear from you all everybody hey ryan and jen this is kate calling from new york city um wanted to call and kind of talk about one of us this is one of those episodes for me that has lots of unanswered questions and they don't feel like questions that we're eventually going to get answers to. So I wonder if I'm just missing something or it's mostly about this thing that they had implanted in Claire to set off so that she would get sick. So does that mean that the plan was always to have Juliet end up going to the camp and save Claire and become the hero? Um, Do we think that one of these implants was also put in Jack at his time on Hydra Island and Instead of it actually being his appendix rupturing, that's what was making him sick, and Juliet was actually removing that when she did the surgery, and uh, Kate wasn't watching um, correctly and couldn't see her take it out. I mean, this is just a huge plot point that never really seems to get answered, so 
Um, thanks, you guys. Love hearing the rehash of this season and can't wait for our final season to get started in February. Thanks a lot. Bye. We start things off with a call from Kate in the Big Apple. Thanks mm-hmm. for your call. And she brings us right back to the big question, I guess, that comes out of these episodes. What's the deal with Claire's implant? I don't know. I think there's no implant and I'm sticking to that. Well, I, I like that she points out that, you know, we have another mysterious illness. We have Jack who that's gets true. appendicitis. I think that's in uh, season four. Mm-hmm. And the question I mean, so you have Ben, who mysteriously gets a tumor. You have Jack, who mysteriously gets appendicitis. And you have Claire, who mysteriously gets sick, supposedly because of an implant. But in all of these other cases of mysterious and sudden illness, it doesn't seem that there is a deliberate, you know, switch no, that gets thrown. No, I mean, thrown. I really feel that Jack's illness was an accident and and, unfor- and it was unfortunate timing that it just happened to be when all of this was happening at the climax of season four. Well, but I think it was Rose who points out, you know, you're getting sick on the island yeah. you're supposed to be well so you know something happens to ben so he so he can get sick something happens to jack so he can get sick something happens to claire supposedly an implant so she can get sick i personally think that the implant i the only way to explain it is that it, there is no such thing but i, I think that Juliet's explanation about needing the the serum, serum. Mm-hmm. makes the most sense in terms of the narrative. I think the only reason why the writers of Lost came up with an implant is they couldn't otherwise come up with a way for her to get sick at exactly the right moment that they needed. Uh-huh. So I can't think of any other way that that could work. But yeah. unfortunately, Kate, I don't know if this is going to be one of those questions that we're going to be able to get answered before the end of the series. We'll I have mean, to wait and see. It kind of comes down to our, you know, is the vaccine fully explained? Uh, I wouldn't put. I would put that kind of in the gray area in terms mm-hmm. of yes or no, whether, whether or not I would be willing to fight to get that particular answer. Patrick writes, Elizabeth Mitchell plus Michael Emerson. Wow, one of the best acting duos in a drama ever. Here, here. I dearly hope we get some quality Ben-Juliet scenes in the last season. Now that we know that Ben didn't really communicate with Jacob, what happened during Juliet's first six months on the island to make her a true believer in Jacob? Did Jacob really cure her sister, or was that another one of Ben's scams? And I love the scene in the jungle where Juliet faced down Saeed and Sawyer, especially since her whole story was all a bald-faced lie. Well, actually, a couple of good points here. You know, Juliet, uh, Ben challenges Juliet, like, why don't you believe in Jacob, and Jacob Uh can save your sister, but we learn later that the whole reason why, in fact, Ben kills Jacob is because he feels ignored by him and not acknowledged by him, so... Did Jacob heal, you know, Rachel's cancer? And uh, was that with Ben's help or Ben's intervention? I don't know. To me, the default setting on Ben is liar and manipulator. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's possible that Rachel never got sick again, that she was fine from the time that Juliet left. But, you know, we're never going to find out at this point. Yeah, well, I guess Ben would always know the condition of Rachel and that she was fine. So, yes, then basically saying that she got sick again was just another gambit to keep her there, to, uh-huh. to, to make her... That's kind of interesting. The other the reason why I keep wondering if there might have been something else going on there is the way that Ben reacts when Juliet says you're a liar and Ben seems to take it personally when Ben when Juliet says that. Mm-hmm. We know that Ben lies and Ben's always and many times has lied, but in this particular case it seemed to really bother him that that statement was made. But yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think we'll ever know. Now, hooray for Hawking rights. One thing that I noticed this time around watching the episode one of us is that the scene in the operating room when Sabine dies 
Goodwin is in the room too. I never got the impression that Goodwin had any medical training, so I thought that was odd. Since he tells Juliet that he will talk to Ben about the death, maybe we're meant to put together that this is when Ben starts to plot how to get Goodwin out of the picture and away from Juliet. Yeah, I was wondering that too. I, I knew he wasn't a doctor. I don't know. I, f- I thought that odd too. Well, I'm not sure how that ties into specifically that, you know, it's when Ben begins to, to suspect. But I uh-huh. suppose that if uh, Juliet now has somebody who can deliver bad news to Ben instead of Juliet, that that might kind of start that, ooh, here's someone that she trusts more than me, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to have that. So that's an interesting thought. I like it. Sydney writes, this was probably one of my favorite episodes from season three. What makes this episode great is that we get the backstory of Juliet coming to the island and how Ben does his manipulation magic. My question, did Ben actually have Jacob heal Juliet's sister, or was that just a con to manipulate Juliet into staying? And did Ben remember that if Juliet didn't come to the island, what happened to him as a boy wouldn't happen, as we see in season five? Now, of course, she's asking that same question about healing her sister, but the thing about, I forget, you know, Ben, we, we, we now get the sense that when somebody tells Juliet, you look exactly like her, uh-huh. that maybe they're saying that Ben, as a child, remembers Juliet's role in saving him after he gets shot by Saeed. Right. So now, if that is in Ben's past, and we see Ben doing what he does in this episode, is he is he trying to keep her there because of that act or because of the, the arc that's going to follow her? In the- I think so. Really? Yeah. So Ben has, at that point, a full understanding that the woman that he's trying to keep on the island has to stay on the island, not just to help him with his tumor, but because she will eventually hook up with people landing on the island and they get shipped back to the 70s to help him when he gets shot as a kid. He might not (laughs) understand the mechanics of it, but I think he knows that Juliet has played a pivotal role in his life. I can see that. I don't know. I mean, that's a great thought, Sydney. Now that we have the time travel element from season five, we're going to have to look at these older episodes and wonder when somebody knew and from what point they knew it. I yeah. mean, it's just going to it's definitely going to keep us talking well past the time that Lost is around. Moving on to Suzanne, who writes on the blog. I got five minutes into the episode and found myself tearing up. The scene where Juliet and her sister Rachel say goodbye to each other is so heartbreaking, especially now that we know or think we know Juliet. Juliet's fate. Juliet left Rachel under the pretense that they would see each other again in three months, only to be held captive on the island by Ben. Odds are that Juliet will never be reunited with her sister. Juliet's whole island experience really is quite tragic. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, overall, her arc is not a particularly bright and pleasant one, especially because of the end that we see her get in Mm -hmm. season five. So I definitely agree. A great character a great actor but a really kind of dark story mike in virginia writes what a great episode Juliet is one of the most wonderfully complex characters i can ever remember on a tv show mm. and this episode really sets the stage for her i remember the first time around questioning her motives and at the end of the episode she seems to be just a female version of ben even when she manipulates saeed and sawyer it could have been ben talking but now with my season five eyes i love her character she's my favorite and elizabeth mitchell is just amazing she just Deserves an Emmy, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. You're there. And yes, I mean, when I remember watching it the first time around, you're like, oh, she's actually a bad guy. Uh-huh. She's, she's, she's betraying everybody. And that was so awful of her. But now, how wonderful of her. How great it was for her character. Well, moving on to Catch-22, we have a voicemail from Will. Hey, Ryan and Jen. Will in San Francisco here. Big fan of the podcast. Thank you very much for doing it. Uh all the uh, episodes of this week and the watchback, some of my favorites uh, from the series. 
especially uh, Catch-22, since it really kind of set things in motion for Season 3. And it had that great fake-out in the very beginning with, you know, we already know, okay, Desmond keeps saying he's protecting Charlie from getting killed. And within the first few minutes, Charlie's got an arrow in his throat, which absolutely had me floored. But you know we had to be getting set up, and of course we were. Uh, the other things about the episode that I also loved is the fact that you've got uh, Charlie being kind of taunted by Mikhail, uh, near the end of the episode as well, uh, considering what ends up happening between the two. it's I wouldn't call it foreshadowing, but it was definitely nice to kind of see that back and forth going on. And plus, it was nice just to see where Desmond picked up his little uh, habit of calling everyone brother. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for doing the podcast. Uh, keep up the great work. And, of course, uh, February 2nd. Can't wait. Mahalo for your call, Will. And yes, definitely all things that we thought mm-hmm. were fantastic about the episode, right down to the irony about Mikhail and, and Charlie there. But February 2nd, yeah. we have our premiere date for season six. It's a Tuesday, which is kind of weird. I mean, Lost has always been a Wednesday show yeah. for me, but I'll take Lost wherever they decide Do to put it. Do you know what February 2nd is? Uh, other than a Tuesday? It's Groundhog Day. Really? Yes. Like the day with Bill Murray and everything happens over and over yes. again. He tries to change it. That's... Uh-huh. Awesome. Yes, it is. That can't be an accident. No. I mean, I think that's great. So, I mean, oh my. I mean, with all the implications that we have with the questions hanging over our heads for season six, Groundhog Day is the perfect day to bring this show back. Bonita in Atlanta writes, what a great character Desmond is. I preferred his flashback story to the On Island one. It seems so preposterous that Charlie, Hurley, and especially Jen would go agree to go camping, but it was a great device to bring humor and move the story forward toward the Frady's tale. The ship stuff was goofy too kate jumps sawyer out of jealousy but i did enjoy the subtext of sawyer and jack's ping pong game and especially desmond's meeting with penny yeah i mean that was kind of a nice meet cute for the two of them but you know i forgot the the scene with jack and sawyer and you know there's something else going on when they're supposedly yeah. playing ping pong and in terms of rivals you know they're a great pair when the two of them are are sort of you know, duking it out. Yeah. I kind of like their scenes a lot. Dave from Arizona writes, I just finished Catch-22 and my head is reeling with the possibilities. Miss Eloise Hawking, mother to Daniel Faraday, has a relationship with the head monk who found Desmond, who later fired him a day before Desmond meets Penny, the daughter of Charles Widmore, the father to Daniel Faraday. I believe both Hawking and Widmore knew Desmond was to play a role in the island's destiny, therefore manipulated situations to get Desmond into their game. Later, Hawking tells Desmond that the island isn't done with him yet, Makes you wonder what their end game is. But I guess it doesn't matter if Faraday's theory to change everything is correct, Mm. which I believe is true. I mean, there's a lot of concerns that uh, any kind of reboot, as J.J. Abrams is known for, might Uh kind of undermine a lot of the things that we've seen happen. But when you kind of lay it out like that, Dave, definitely there's a big conspiracy going on. James in Edmonton writes, In Catch-22, Desmond says that when he woke up out of the gutter, a man with a rope around his waist helped him up, and that was how he ended up at the monastery this was implying that it was one of the brothers from the monastery that found him and helped desmond find his calling now there have been rumors going around that the person that actually found desmond was jacob but when i went back and watched the season five finale jacob's nemesis is the one wearing a rope around his waist i have absolutely no idea what this means or if it's important but i thought it was interesting nonetheless wow i hadn't even picked up on that that uh, the man in black has a rope around his waist just like the person that desmond says he saw okay i think my mind is blown 
That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, we've seen in at the end of season five that uh, Jacob seems to go around and kind of bring people around or sort of involve them or affect them in some way. But uh-huh. we've been wondering if that was possible or if that was true of uh, the man in black. Right. So this is certainly one way that that could have been possible. A very good eye there. Big Daddy Des writes, Do you guys think we will ever get an answer to the relationship between Brother Campbell and Mrs. Hawking? We see them both in the picture on the desk, and usually I'm not willfully displaying pictures of others unless they are near and dear to me. With Mrs. Hawking being in the jewelry store when Desmond is buying the ring, I want to say that is because of Daniel's journal. Just wondering if you think amidst all the answers we'll be receiving in season six, whether you think that spot is important enough to revisit. Heck yeah. Yeah, connection between Mrs. Hawking and anybody. I mean, I'd be willing yeah. to take any any sort of link as far as what her end game is or what her overall plan might be. Yeah, absolutely. Alex from South Carolina writes, I have to say that Catch-22 is a bit frustrating for me. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, it's very well done and well put together, but it makes the mystery surrounding Desmond all the more complicated. Every other time he has a flash outside this episode, it's just something he can change if he wants or it's literally reliving past memories. This time, though, he has pushed into doing something significant because of the flashes. Without ever having these flashes of the future, the future would never have happened. Perhaps this is just Jacob pushing Desmond to do what he's supposed to. Desmond being pushed to find his truth path is a big deal in this episode. You know, I kind of like his pointing out that this was sort of different for Desmond's visions. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I, we do have the earlier episode where he Right when he gets hit by the bat in the bar is when he comes to the realization that he could change things, but Mm -hmm. that he is deprived of that opportunity. So if you say that this is sort of the next step in that evolution for him, he here does sort of change events, but with full awareness of what those are. So I kind of like that. But it is true that if it wasn't for the visions, he wouldn't have set things in motion. It is another it is a catch 22. Actually, it is sort of a a paradox within an episode Mm -hmm. because the things he's seeing is what he's I don't know. I mean, uh, but it certainly is different. I should mention, by the way, that Alex is also uh, a lost fan with kind of a creative streak, and he sent along a link to a video that he made on YouTube. It's called the 108 Minutes Lost Parody, and you can Google for that or look for that on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. I love seeing um, what lost fans kind of pull together. Yeah, me too. Rich in Cleveland writes, Notice the blinking red light of the parachutes beacon in Catch-22? It's identical to those we've seen on answering machines and the omnipresent video camera that's always watching just to name a few. I always cite this example as evidence for one of my favorite crackpot theories, that Lost is all a virtual dream on a hospital ward. Fragments of true reality, such as the lights and alarms of consciousness-sustaining machines, intrude upon the dream from time to time and are transfigured into significant symbols by the mind. For example, the whispers are people speaking in the same room. This theory probably won't literally be true, but they are signs of a reality beyond or behind the one that we're immediately aware of. Okay, that's a good theory and it's interesting and well thought out but if that's the truth I'm going to throw things and hurt people. (laughs) Well I I do kind of like the idea that what we're seeing is sort of a blending or a merging of different realities different universes things Mm -hmm. are leaking through certainly the whispers have always been a a suggestion of that even the beeping of the you know the hatch hatch, which we see is also the microwave in, in Desmond's apartment and they kind of they play with that a lot but I agree I mean I think even the creators of the show have promised that they're not going to pull a Saint Elsewhere on yeah. us, uh, so I definitely hope that that's not it. But I do agree that you know there's something else going on there. There's kind of uh, some other things seeping through into our universe, and that's probably also again going to be key in season six. Yeah. Moving on to DOC, we've got a call from Cal. Hey, Ron and Jen, it's Cal from Kentucky. I guess your 
in the middle of your season three rewatch. There's a few things I wanted to talk about. One of us, Catch-22 and DLC. Starting with this string of episodes, you know, the way that Juliet died and her character in season five, everybody loves Juliet. I did too, eventually. This is, all the stuff that happened here is what made me really not trust her with, like, telling Ben that son was pregnant and that stuff, and you think eventually that she's on the lofty side. I just never trusted her because of that, and then even in season four, when people started going to her side, I still didn't trust her when she told son that, or when she told Jen that son was cheating on her. You know, I just, even after she died, I mean, you gotta love her character, but I still think she kept secrets that would have helped the losses out. I just there's something there that we don't know that she kept secret. I think. Thanks for your call, there, Cal. And so, well, here's someone who agrees with the with Juliet's character. Elizabeth Mitchell is worthy of all the praise that's heaped on her. She's a great character, an interesting character, but she's not a trustworthy character. That there's still some downside to her. There's a bad side to her that she wasn't ever always on our losty side, and she's withholding information that could have helped them. I I think she redeems herself. I I really do. I think maybe while in the beginning when she was still partially at least loyal to Ben, she, you know, maybe we couldn't trust her then, but I think once she separated from Ben, she became the person that she really was, and mm. I think she redeemed herself. So you think she officially at some point does become in line with the Losties, with yes. our friends. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting that Cal reminds us that she later kind of spills the beans on, you know, uh, son sleeping around on Jen. So, I mean, I think that there's still some dark to her that we've yet to see. I think, but I think she did that out of what she thought was necessity. She really wanted to save son's life. Right. And she felt desperate and she felt that was the only way she was going to be able to do it. Well, I definitely like your take that, you know, that overall that Juliet does redeem herself before she meets any kind of... I know. One thing about in this episode that really bugged me, she asks son, when was the last time you and Jen had sex. Mm. That's just such a silly question. Why why wouldn't a a fertility doctor want to know that to figure out? Because it it, it doesn't matter. The the question she should be asking son is when was the first date of your last period? Oh, that's the official way to calculate when a baby or how big a baby should be. Okay. Okay. Wow. It's only been five years since we had a baby, but I don't remember the particulars of those conversations, but okay. If you say so. I mean, because she could have been with Jen the night before. That doesn't affect her pregnancy. I see what you're saying. Okay, well, there you go. Someone's got to talk to the writer of that episode. <laughs> someone, someone who needs to, to deal with uh, pregnancy. Gavin here in Pearl City writes, When you really think about it, Sun is one of the darker characters in the show. Her initial impression as a subservient, weak Asian wife is really misleading. Looking back at all the bad things she's done, threatening to kill Jen's mother, having an affair, killing an other on the boat, taking over her dad's company, exposes her darker side and makes you wonder if she really is a good person or not. She's really more like her dad than she would like to admit. One question, why was Naomi speaking different languages when she was hurt? Widmore must have briefed her about the others on the island beforehand, so she would have no reason to believe they spoke foreign languages. Well, first of all, I mean, I agree. Sun's character is a darker character yeah. than she's been. in, the, and, and if she turns out to be part of the bad guys, I think that that's really the arc that they're kind of setting up for her even this far back. Yeah, I, I wouldn't really mind because I think that what I think that would be true to what we've seen of Sun so far. 
Absolutely. I mean, even since season five, we feel that she's kind of getting in line with Widmore, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something else going on there. And uh, her character is too interesting to go back, I think, to where she was. There's a there's a revert in the character that I don't want to see. But about Naomi speaking other languages, I think just when you're badly hurt and your brain is scrambled, you just sort of spout the things that come to your head. I think it might have been part of her training. I mean, we've seen that the others speak Latin. Um, right. So maybe she's just trying to to make that connection with another language without revealing any. I mean, that's how she would find out, for example, who was one of the uh, one of the others, one of the Dharma people. Right. Right. I see. I think that's probably what was going on. Jan from France writes. So the real evil in the Jin Sun couple is not Jin becoming a bad man for Pike and indirectly blaming Sun for that. It is Sun who gave her husband to her father, knowing the kind of job he would have to do. What a weird couple before they came to the island. Now, when we look back at how Sun was at the beginning, we understand that she didn't become the tough girl we saw during the Oceanic Six Days. She always was this girl. She just decided to be more gentle when she was on the island. Sun crying was really a redemption moment for Sun, who now blames herself for cheating on Jin and everything. Well, that's an interesting thought that, you know, the that her time on the island, she was a different person, but off the island, she's always been kind of cold, kind of conniving, kind of plotting. I kind of like that, but if she really felt that regret for what happened to Jin on the island, how come she... Well, because she's mad, because she's upset after she gets off the island for what happens to Jin. So, oh, yeah, I, she is. She's totally on a revenge kick. So, you can see it in her eyes when she has that conversation with Kate in mm-hmm. her apartment, you know. And she's, you know, I'm sure you didn't mean to leave my husband there, but she, exactly. she really thinks that. That's true. So in, to some extent, she's always had this capability. She demonstrated it before being on the island and after being on the island, but her motivation probably changed after what happens to, to Jim. Right. So definitely a good thought. Mario in Philadelphia writes, I particularly like any backstory with Sun, and the episode DOC doesn't disappoint. Sun generally appears vulnerable on the outside, but we've seen that she can be very strong and determined when she needs to, and her love for Jin is one of the strengths of the show. When she's blackmailed by Jin's mother, Sun doesn't hesitate to confront her father. Sun searches for and finds Jin's father, but hoping to protect him will keep it a secret from Jin, as well as paying off his mother. And she tells her, My husband thinks his mother is dead, don't make me have to make that a reality. Though finding out she most likely will die from her pregnancy, Sun's love for her infertile husband is seen when she learns she was miraculously impregnated while on the island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we agree, yeah. definitely. And then, yeah, that scene where she's crying tears of joy rather than tears of sorrow, maybe both, definitely a strong scene for her. Yeah, absolutely. Terry writes, I enjoyed this episode. Elizabeth Mitchell is great. My favorite is when she's explaining to Sun about wanting to give good news and Sun says she slept with another man. Juliet's reaction was priceless. As far as Desmond letting Mikhail go and Charlie protesting, it was really sad to know that ultimately Mikhail is going to be the death of Charlie. Absolutely. But yeah, when uh, Sun says, I slept with another man before I came to the island, and sort of Juliet just sort of goes, oh, like <laughs> definitely the, the facial expressions definitely do it in that scene and i think we got room for one more common jen in chicago writes one of the best sun episodes the transformation of her relationship with juliet was wonderful to watch as were juliet's emotional moments talking about losing the pregnant women great acting from both women i also love how the more we learn about jin the more sympathetic his character becomes one of the greatest examples of character development on television i think yeah absolutely I agree. The, the, the the pair of them sun and jin and yes like i said i 
I want to see. I wish there were more scenes with uh, Yoon Jin Kim and Elizabeth Mitchell together. Yeah. It turns out they're both powerful actresses. Well, those are just some of the thoughts you shared with us on these three episodes. And, uh, you know, there are fewer and fewer comments each uh, podcast as this hiatus grows longer. And we're definitely grateful for those of you who are hanging in there. Yes, we are. Finally, we'd like to take a moment to specifically thank listeners who also recently gave us great feedback on our podcast on iTunes. So mahalo to Chris in Oli, Auntie Locke's girlfriend, I like that, Lucid Mike, <laughs> Zabu Kazar, Steve Lost in LA, and Not Tommy Glasscock. Now remember, every email, whether or not we read it on the air, enters you to win a lot of special prizes. And this week, we're adding even more to the pot for our January drawing. You'll still be able to win a limited edition Benjamin Linus bobblehead doll courtesy of Entertainment Earth, a copy of the Season 3 and Season 4 albums from The Others Lost Band, and copies of the latest edition of Nikki Stafford's great book series, Finding Lost. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Thanks to the great folks at Buena Vista Home Entertainment, we're proud to announce that you could also win a Lost Season 5 limited edition Dharma Initiation Kit. That's the cool. collector's edition of the Season 5 DVD box set, which means that in addition to the episodes and bonus features, there's an orientation video if you still have a VHS video player, Dharma pamphlets, patches, and maps in a great package. Now, there's no question that as hardcore Lost fans, we're going to be buying this set when it comes out on December 8th, but you can win it for free. We've also got a very simple but very special, very rare prize that we're going to be giving away as well. But it comes with a story first. Now, as you may know, there's a pseudo-ARG or alternative reality game going on, starting with Paul Shear, the comedian who turned up at Comic-Con and announced his website, DamonCarltonAndAPolarBear.com. <laughs> well, since then, the website has been used to announce a series of limited edition Lost Artworks poster prints, to be specific. To get the posters, the website would post clues every few days, and they would eventually lead to a place and time in cities all over the world. New York, San Francisco, Scotland, Tokyo, Buenos Aires, and so on. Well, this week, Honolulu was the lucky city. That's right. Now, the clues on the website were a pineapple, so folks said immediately it was Hawaii. The phrase, in escrow, which is a real estate term. Mm -hmm. The next phrase was, uh, they help you get home, which, you know, could be a taxi company or a bus or something, but also yeah. fits the real estate theme. And uh, the street, Kapiolani Boulevard, was revealed, and that confirmed definitely we're talking about Hawaii here. But the last phrase was the toughest one. It was the phrase, eyeball eater. And apparently this was the toughest set of clues so far out of 13 other reveals on this ARG. And the folks at LostARGs.com figured it out only hours before the full answer was given. The location for the reveal was at a company called Abe Lee Realty. And it turns out, yes, Abe Lee Realty was an anagram for eyeball eaters. So at the appointed time, on the appointed date, I showed up at Abe Lee Realty. And, you know, at other reveals around the world, you know, sometimes there's crowds of people. But here there were just three of us there, uh, my friend Bert, who I told him to be there, and a woman named Deanna, who was told to be there by a fan on the mainland. So it was kind of surreal. We're in this office complex. Nobody knows what we're going on. We're worried that someone's going to call security on us. And the first Abe Lee Realty employee who showed up had absolutely no idea what we were talking about. And we were beginning to think maybe we were being punked or something. Fortunately, the office manager was expecting us, or at least was expecting something. I mean, he also had no idea really what was going on. He just agreed to an email that he got to have something delivered 
delivered and to give it out. And it was kind of surreal because while we're there in his office, the phone there kept ringing off the hook from people calling from all around the world, also trying to get the scoop from this reveal. Well, the scoop, as at every reveal, was a website address for the next Lost artwork. And unfortunately, our price is not the limited edition poster. They make only 300 and they sell out in less than three minutes usually as people worldwide try to crash the server in an effort to get one. But the good news is every reveal has actually come with something even more special and rare. At each event, they give out a simple trinket or item containing the address. It's been a grocery bag, a ping pong ball, and so on. But again, it's something that you can only get at these random spots around the world, and they've only got a couple of dozen on hand. So our prize is the lost swag from this Damon Carlton and a polarbear.com reveal here on the island. We actually got a couple to give away, and, you know, it's a simple basic travel brochure. It's nicely designed. It's it's a folder with a couple of inserts in it with color photos and logos and lots of clever copy. The folders are for castaway getaways, and it's got Oceanic Airlines on the front, and inside there's a, an Ajira Airlines flyer with some vacation packages. It's got the Explorers Tour and the Shipwreck Tour, and there's also kind of a seat pocket safety card, you know, like you have on an actual airplane, mm-hmm. but this one's for Ajira Airlines. It's got instructions with the cartoons, like if you see smoke, alert an attendant and run, but it's got the little smoke monster yeah, in it, yeah. and there's kind of prohibitions along the bottom. No firearms, no nuclear materials, and no criminal transport. So lots of jokes there from Lost. Yeah, they look really cool and fun and it's definitely something very few Lost fans have, and we're giving it away to you, our beloved listeners. All you have to do to win any of these great prizes is send in an email participating in our Season 3 rewatch, but as we're up to Episode 18 of 23, you've only got a couple more podcasts podcast mm-hmm. left to share your thoughts and put your name in the hat for our rewatch giveaway so get right absolutely now looking ahead next week we'll share one last special treat audio from the third and final master class on lost from the hawaii international film festival the topic was costumes and props and i think this was your favorite oh session. yeah easily absolutely it had the most audience q a that's for sure and the panel included costume designer roland sanchez and property master robert kiker and it was moderated by our friend and hif uh, executive Anderson Lee. Then the following week for our next scheduled rewatch podcast, we will cover season three episodes 19, 20 and 21. That's the brig for luck, mm. the man behind the curtain for Ben and greatest hits for Charlie. So as you enjoy the last of these special masterclass lost conversations, please remember to pop in those DVDs as soon as you can, and then send us your feedback for us to include in this December 13th show. You can send your thoughts via email to lost at Posted on the blog at whatyup.com slash lost or call the lost line at 815-310-0808. Coming up in about two minutes, we will peek into the forward cabin. But first, paving the way, we have a little musical interlude. This is a song by the Others Lost Band based on one of the episodes we just discussed, DOC. And the song is called Sun, Sun, Sun. Mr. Kwan will provide for me Cause he's my honey 
right, that was Sun, Sun, Sun by the Others Lost Band, and kind of a nice change for them. Normally yeah. they write original stuff, but that was a great fun parody in that I'll case. never be able to listen to Fun, Fun, Fun this same Exactly. Again. I think that's now rewritten that song in my brain. Now, that song was based on the 18th episode of Season 3 DOC, and as we've mentioned, the Others Lost Band writes a song based on every episode of Lost. You can find more information on the band and hear more of their great music at www.myspace.com slash the others lost band now it's spoiler time so if you don't want to know what's coming up you might want to bail out now exactly now we've got a lot to catch up on three weeks ago there was a shoot in kahala it's a residential street just off kilauea avenue which is near kahala mall Mm -hmm. and they used a very plain looking house out there michael emerson was in the scene good old ben and john grease or roger linus ben's father so he makes another appearance now one tantalizing line of dialogue that roger says as referenced by the script supervisor was this is not the life i wanted for you ben Mm. so you know it looks like ben is always disappointing his daddy there now as night fell another actor turned up on the scene tanya raymond or alex is back and it's great she just sort of runs up to the house she rings the doorbell ben answers and they just talk for a few moments and alex says something like you're the best and jen just sort of runs off and Ben watches her leave and goes back into the house. So I guess to some extent, Ben and Alex are still relatively close in whatever's going on here off the island. And I want to thank uh, uh, an anonymous visiting fan there for, uh, for, for that scene. And there's even a video clip of the Alex scene that turned up on YouTube. Hmm. So check it out. Now, last Monday, they were in Waikiki. They were at the Lotus, which is a very fancy restaurant. Uh, the area is kind of, I mean, that place is formally called The W. It was a luxury uh, boutique hotel. And specifically, they used the Diamond Head Grill, which is a very stylish, very upscale lounge and restaurant. Now, for this scene, Josh Holloway was there, good old Sawyer, and he was looking quite handsome, wearing uh, black pants and a purple shirt. But his companion in the scene was an even more striking sight. She was wearing a colorful evening dress and was apparently on a date with Mr. Sawyer, and it was Rebecca Mater or Charlotte. So I am so glad that she's coming back and apparently is, unfortunately, one of Sawyer's marks after his return to Los Angeles. Mm. And special thanks to visiting fan Damien, who actually turned up a lot of the spoiler scoops in the last few weeks uh, before he had to leave. But thanks a lot for that. Now, on Tuesday, the very next day, they were in downtown Honolulu, and they actually returned to the old Honolulu police station. It's actually the uh, historic Walter Murray Gibson building on the corner of Nu'uanu and Merchant Streets. Now, this location was previously used for the lockup, where Sarah had to bail Jack out after he jumped his dad in the season three premiere of Tale of Two Cities, so where they kind of walk out onto the street and he says, is that him? That's the same building, and the the interior was the same building, but in this case, it was the Los Angeles Police Department, and they set out some police cruisers out on the street, and um, it's kind of interesting. There were signs on the door that said there were actually two sets in the building, a locker room and a police station. In any case, the actors on set were Josh Holloway again, so this is definitely a Sawyer-centric episode, mm-hmm. but Ken Leung was there as well, good old Miles. Awesome. And even better, he was a cop. He was a police person, just like to some extent he was with Sawyer on the island wow. back in the 70s. So maybe law enforcement always was in his future. In any case, there were some other folks, uh, another man who looked like the police chief or detective and a scruffy guy with corn rolls who uh, Damien said looked a little homeless. Um, also on the walkie-talkies, he said that they were talking about moving another actor to the set or from the set, and the character's name was 
Liam. Liam. Now, the interesting thing is there was a Liam in Lost who was Liam Pace, uh, Liam Pace's Charlie's brother, brother, but I'm not sure if that was, I mean, could have also just been the actor's name playing someone else, but I thought it was definitely worth mentioning. Now, on Thursday, a really interesting shoot. They were at the USS Bowfin Submarine Museum again, and that's next to the USS Arizona Visitor Center. Now, they've used the submarine before, so clearly we've got the Galaga coming back, and the filming took place both on and inside the submarine, as well as inside a small exhibit space inside the Bowfin Visitor Center. Now, that exhibit just displayed kind of a cross-section of the interior of a mm-hmm. submarine, so clearly they were just kind of using it to be the inside of the submarine. They put big black curtains around it to kind of dark it out, and maybe it was just easier than trying to cram a film crew into an actual submarine, and spotted on the set, big surprise, Josh Holloway, or Sawyer, so he's getting his way on to a submarine in some case, but the most tantalizing uh, reveal there was the other actor on the set, Alan Dale. And of course, that's Charles Widmore looking quite, well, quite Widmore-like. So Josh Holly was there. He was looking kind of rugged. He had his longer hair, kind of a drab olive pants and blue shirt. Mm. And uh, Widmore was there. And he was kind of wearing a checked dress shirt and brown pants. Very kind of J. Crew sort of adventure man looking there. But yes, Widmore and Sawyer and a submarine. What on earth could be going on? That's pretty tantalizing. Now, Big shoot for this particular forward cabin is one that's also pretty well documented on my blog. It was on a Saturday, which is very unusual, but it took place in downtown Honolulu on Baratania Street at Fort Street. Now, this is a, a major intersection, yeah. and this is right by Hawaii, uh, Hawaii Pacific University um, in front of Kukui Plaza. Uh, they turned sort of the building in the background into Pacific Tower. You know, they hang sort of fake signs, and uh, there was a La Brea property management sign, so clearly this scene is set in California. Actually, La Brea is where... Saeed and uh, Nadia were oh, over right. before Nadia got sort of whacked. But in any case, so they did that. They also used the narrow alleyway behind Hawaii Pacific University, and that's the same alley, interestingly, where Tom met Michael in New York. Now, I'm presuming that it's not the same alley in this case. They right. hung up some posters. They sprayed some water to make it look wet and grimy. But in any case, uh, it was kind of awesome because a good friend of mine named Anne actually lives in Kukui Plaza, so I got to watch them film for several hours while my patient, patient wife kind of watched <laughs> the kids and tried to keep them from killing themselves at a yogurt shop. Frogurt. Uh, Ward. Frogurt. Frogurt. In any case, uh, it was a great shot. So, here's the scene. Uh, Sawyer is sitting in a silver car and he sees Miles and he calls him over to the car. At first, Miles tries to wave him off like no thank you or no, but Sawyer leans over and opens the passenger door for Miles and Miles decides to go ahead and get in. So while they're in the car, Sawyer gives Miles an album or a notebook of some kind, and Miles flips through some photos, and he studies and stares at one in particular. Suddenly, there's a car crash. Yes, a car crash, and of course we know car crashes are significant in Lost since season one, bringing characters together, and that's not any different in this case. A blue car gets cut off by a black SUV and slams into the back of Sawyer's car. He jerks himself in behind the wheel as he's hit and a woman in a uh, black jacket and a gray hood pulled way over her head jumps out of the car, runs into the street kind of dodges the truck and down the alley and she knocks over some of the boxes as she goes. Now the big question was who is this woman who crashes into Sawyer and then runs out down the alley and gets chased by the cops but I think your guess is probably the right guess and fortunately even though I had to eventually leave the set, um, a couple of friends of mine, Callie from Maui actually and Bernard caught filming later, just a few blocks away. They were over by Mercury Bar. That's around the corner from J.J. Dolan's in Chinatown. And here's the scene. Sawyer grabs the woman and kind of pushes her up against a gate like he's just captured her. He spins her around and pulls off her hood and 
Well, who do you suppose Sawyer meets by some chance in a car accident? Kate. It's got to be Kate running from the cops. Yes, it was Evangeline Lee. Now, it was really great watching this shoot, again, because I had a great vantage point. And because it was on a major street, there was quite a crowd there. And actually, HPU kind of tipped their hand because they sent an email to everybody that this shoot was going to happen. So Mm -hmm. it was all over the spoiler sites and everything as well. Basically, there was a great crowd. And so the car crash stunt, you know, everybody wanted to see it. It took a long time to see set up and they took several practice runs and I actually posted some video on my blog and on YouTube if you want to check it out but I thought just to kind of give you a taste I'd put in some audio here in the podcast so you can just listen in on kind of what it sounds like when they film a stunt scene for Lost. There you go. I just thought you'd like to kind of have sort of a sound seeing tour of a lost set. Now, <laughs> you heard the applause at the end because, of course, there was a lot of concern for safety and they they filmed the shot several times. The first time the car kind of hit a little funny. The second time definitely hit right on like you heard. And um, it's fascinating because they had identical versions of those cars, the blue car that Kate was driving and the silver car that um, Sire was in so that after they smushed them up, they basically rolled those away and rolled the next two cars into place. I'm not sure how many they had, but again, they took several takes and just watching Lost being made is one of the fantastic thrills about being here on the island. And I'm just happy to share that with you folks. Now, mm-hmm. after that, there were pretty much only a couple of other tiny tidbits of filming news that came in. Now, on Monday of this week, they were back in Manoa Valley at Paradise Park. And, uh, you know, this has either been a jungle set or a temple set. Mm-hmm. Lord knows what they were actually doing was way out of sight. But, of course, you could see cast and crew coming to and from the set. And a visiting fan who was out there saw the following characters. Sawyer, Kate, Locke, Saeed, Jin, and Cindy, our long-lost uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. stewardess still there, and the kids, yes, a young boy and a young girl, probably our friends, Zach and Emma. And also there, later on, though, was Claire. So, you know, these are basically the on-island folks, whatever's mm-hmm. going on in the present storyline. Now, it's interesting, though, that as I've reported these filming scenes uh, over the last several weeks, it seems that our our losties that have been hanging out with the temple others are basically joining the club because in this scene they were all also kind of dressed in the very same kind of brown uh, earth toned well, kind of pirate like clothes. Mm. So either they've joined the others or they're basically wearing their clothes by their by their demand. But definitely interesting. And uh, on Tuesday, uh, it was sort of a chance 
discovery, my friend Brian, who's a lost spotter, actually was his brother, was hiking over at Turtle Bay. They have uh, something called the Green Trail that sort mm-hmm. of circles the entire Turtle Bay area. And a lot of people like to hike that. And they and, and he came across the set being set up. And they were setting up tents and fire pits, kind of basically a encampment of right. some kind. So I was able to encourage a, a visiting fan to go over and uh, spend the day there with his family, mostly out on the beach. But yeah, spending some time trying to get close to the set. They were pretty cautious about about that, but again, the characters that he was able to see were Sawyer, Kate, Locke, Saeed, Jin, and Claire, and again, a bunch of others. So, whatever's going on with these shoots, it's uh, more following with our characters on the island in, I guess, the 2007 timeline. Mm. It is interesting to me that Locke is still present because, again, we still don't really know what's going on with his character or which Locke right. we're dealing with. Yeah. In any case, that's it for the Forward Cabin, and that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. Now, remember, your homework is to watch Season 3, Episodes 19, 20, and 21, and get your feedback to us by Friday, December 11th. This show is powered by you, so please send us an email, comment on the blog, call the Lost Line, post a note on iTunes, even tweet us on Twitter. We love to hear from you. Email us at lost at hawaiiup.com, comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com, slash lost, call the Lost Line at 815-310-0808, or find us on Twitter. He's at Hawaii and I'm at Mrs. Hawaii. Now remember next week we'll continue our Hawaii International Film Festival series with audio from the third and final Masterclass on Lost costume and props. Then the week after that our Lost Season 3 review continues. That's right and we're kind of closing out the year here so again we'd love your participation and we'd love to help finish out Season 3. Talk to you guys soon. Stay lost everybody. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.